So uh, if you're joining with us for the first time, then as you can see from the screens, uh, we are almost in the middle of a series about margin, where we are talking about breathing room and just having a little bit of extra space between our load and our limit. And we've used the illustration the last couple of weeks of um, different size balloons and how different people have different capacities. It's not so much about your capacity, it's about how much you're trying to squeeze into that capacity. So if the balloon is, is filled up to the max, then it's going to be pretty easy to pop if you apply pressure to it. If the balloon is blown up with maybe 10, 20% margin, then you're actually able to squeeze it a bit. Um, it can withstand the inevitable pressures of life. And I believe that God wants us to live lives that have a lot of air in them, uh, not hot air, but like, you know, that, that, that where we're carrying a load, but where there's a gap between our load and our limits so that we can withstand the inevitable pressures of life. If you haven't been here the last two weeks, I'd encourage you to go onto our website or just subscribe to the podcast, but you can download the messages for free. Uh, I really, really want to encourage you. We're trying to build one level at a time, sort of one layer at a time. And today I want to talk about the topic of slowing. Uh, Now, slowing can can often be misunderstood and we can often feel as though, um, in fact, the word slow is often even used as an insult, if we call someone slow, we're not normally meaning that as a compliment, right? Yet, I actually believe that there's a place in the 21st century for us to slow down and it actually be a healthy discipline. It actually be a commitment to margin. Some of you have heard uh, you know, about ponderables, things that kind of just make you wonder and ponder. I was looking quite a few up just recently. In fact, I had a long list. I just selected a few. Might do some more next week. But have you ever wondered, ever pondered about why we call apartments apartments when they're all actually stuck together? (laughs) Or or why we call them flats when actually they're normally pretty high? (laughs) Have you ever wondered why if people from Poland are called Poles, why people from Holland are not called Holes? I just think it's a good question. Or, or if you're reading the numbers 9 and 9 next to each other, we say 99, right? Why when we read 1 and 1 next to each other, we say 11 and not 21? <laughs> Obviously, you don't think about some of these things as, as much as I do. Or, or why the time of day with the slowest traffic, we call that rush hour? Or why the word abbreviated is so long? Or why the man who invests all your money is called a broker. <laughs> Thanks. Can I, just, can I just thank Mrs. Phanemonis for doing my ego some good this morning. She is appreciating my humor. I was chuckling as well when I was reading some of these things recently. And I don't know if you've ever wondered whether or not Adam has a belly button. Right? Matt's, Matt's wondered about this. Maybe one day in heaven you get to ask him to pull his... Stomach up, his stomach, his shirt up. And, and last one, last one. If you choke a Smurf, what color does it turn? Thank you, Paul. I had one laugh. Okay, because Smurfs are blue. All right, I'm going to help some of you guys out. All right, anyway. So, so sometimes we need to actually stop and pause and wonder. Sometimes we need to evaluate some of the statements that we just accept or sometimes even the lifestyle we accept. Last week we mentioned a quote from C.S. Lewis where he said that, 
when, when everyone is running towards a cliff, the person running in the opposite direction looks insane. So sometimes we just accept certain things as normal. Uh, sometimes we accept a certain pace. Sometimes we accept um, a certain amount of uh, connectivity as, as just being like normal and healthy. Even, even if you think about how much we struggle, the moment we come to a gathering like this and we can't actually affect the climate a little bit, like it's actually hard because we've become so accustomed to, we've become so conditioned to being able to adjust. Um, I don't know about you, but if I hadn't had coffee yet, and I came here this morning to this service. I'm, I'm just feeling, I'm, I'm feeling compassion for some of you. If you came hoping for a cup of coffee and you didn't get it, like you're probably not feeling very Christian right now, all right? We, we become so conditioned to certain things that we expect. And, and some of it I think is totally reasonable, but I would suggest that there's certain things about our lives that every now and then we need to actually stop and evaluate. And I think that the speed that we live at is one of those things. Now, I don't think that there's a problem with speed. I think there's a problem with relentless speed. I don't think there's a problem with being engaged and focused and, and needing to get stuff done uh, quickly. I just think that if everything always ever is only ever in a rush, in a hurry, I think that we start to do damage to our souls. We actually start to do violence to our souls. We start to do damage to relationships. We start to do damage to our destiny. We start to do damage to our intimacy with God. And so I want to remind you real quick, we'll have a few things up on the screen, but God's first and foremost goal, His primary goal is relationship. He wants us to enjoy a relationship with Him. What if, I just want to throw this out there, but what if When you stand before God one day, what if the first question he asks you is not, what did you do for me? What if the first question he asks you is, why didn't you let me love you more? Should we close in prayer? Let you guys go. I think that's a good question. What if God really does care about our relationship? What if God says, I wanted to speak to you. I wanted to enjoy you. I wanted to hear your thoughts. I wanted you to be real and be honest with me. I wanted you to be able to grieve when you need to grieve and to be angry when you need to be angry and to express disappointment when you need to be disappointed and to allow me to give you perspective and peace and, and, and to help you. What if, what, what if one of his questions is, why didn't you let me love you more? I'm just telling you, God's, I believe God's first and foremost goal is relationship. Before Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, was Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God had a relationship with us. And even after sin came into the world and Adam and Eve were naughty, they hid from God. God didn't hide from them. God went looking for them. God wants a relationship with us. The evidence of that relationship is what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, and that's the word formation. Formation is another word for discipleship, maturity. Um, it's, it's something where we are bearing fruit. We'll have that up on the screen in a moment. But that is the evidence. Formation is the evidence of our relationship with God. Formation is not the goal in itself. It's the evidence of the goal. The goal is relationship. I believe that... Uh, God's strategy to achieve this is simply attention. I think we're living in an, an attention deficit economy. And that's not just if you're ADD. In general, 
in general, we live in a time when, when our attention is what is being fought over by multi-billion dollar companies. And in fact, I was actually reading recently how the, I think it's the CEO of Netflix, who was asked about their competition because Amazon uh, Prime and Apple TV and, and, and depending on what country you're in, several other online streaming platforms are, are coming on with you know, their options for series, etc. And he said, like, basically, they're not our competition. Sleep is our competition. We live in an attention deficit economy. Companies are paying ridiculous amounts of money to attract, to, to get us addicted, to, to, to grab our attention. And the reason why I believe or agree with Carl Jung, in at least the essence of what he's trying to say, we said that, that hurry isn't of the devil, hurry is the devil, is because small d, don't worry, is because the obstacle to our attention, the obstacle to formation, the obstacle to relationship is distraction. I think it's T.S. Eliot who said in one of his poems that people are, are, are distracted from distraction with distraction. If you stop and ponder what I'm talking about, we're living in an unbelievably distracted environment and culture. We talk about multitasking as though it's a gift. It's a fallacy. It's a myth. No one can truly, properly multitask. It is, it's just that our ability to flick from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next is so quick that, that we don't even recognize it. So we think we're doing two or three things at the same time, but we're not. So, so we may be having a conversation while checking a message while watching something while driving. But, but actually, we are, we are just very quickly moving our attention from one thing to the next to the next to the next. And so we're not giving our full attention to anything almost ever. Most of you right now are looking at me, so I appreciate that. But I'm imagining that for some of you, you're probably struggling with the gravitational pull <laughs> to look down and check something. Or, or maybe, maybe you don't have signal at the moment because of Load shedding, in which case, thank you, Jesus, and thank you, ESCOM. But, but think about it, guys. Anytime I have a moment, if I have to wait, if I have anything, it is very hard for me not to want to fill it immediately, and often with more than one thing. The obstacle to attention, to formation, to relationship with God is distraction. And so the solution is slowing. It's, it's allowing for occasional margin where we can where we can slow down to truly be with Jesus or we can slow down to be with our spouse or to be with our kids or to be with with anyone any friend anyone that 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 you're meant to have a meaningful relationship with or just to be present enough to to experience what I believe God actually wants us to experience in this life Ronald Rollheiser says that we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. And when he says that, um, I actually think he's referring to our entire lives because actually everything is spiritual. 
My, my spiritual life, and I want to encourage you not to evaluate your spiritual life based on whether or not you were in church and whether or not you had a quiet time this morning. My spiritual life is, is evidenced by my relationship with those closest to me. It's evidenced by my, by the way, I look after my body. It's evidenced by, by, by whether or not the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, is being shown in my life. It's evidenced in the way that I work because work is actually from God. Work existed before sin, just so you all know. Work has been made a bit worse and we're going to do a series on work at some point this, this year. But work is, is part of God's plan. So how I work is actually very, very spiritual. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. John Mark uh, Comer says that attention is our scarcest resource. Without it, our spiritual lives are still born in the womb. So without wanting to get too heavy for a moment, just think if you were the enemy, what would you want to do? If, if I were him, I'd want to do everything I can just simply to keep you distracted. I might not be able to convince you of a, of a, of a lie, but I'm certainly going to do everything I can to keep you looking at the shiny things that, that, that are going to keep you away from enjoying depth and meaning and intimacy. John Ortberg, who wrote a great book called The Life You Always Wanted, very easy to read. Like it's not a heavy, stodgy spiritual formation book. He wrote this many years ago. Great book. It says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted, rushed, and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And I think that this is a real danger. I think that we are often settling for a mediocre version of relationships with our families, a mediocre version of relationship with other people that God's actually created to have a life-giving, you know, a community around us. I think sometimes we're settling for a mediocre approach to our destiny. Sometimes we are settling for a mediocre approach to work or school when actually when we're living according to healthy rhythm, we have enough energy to put into it what we need to. And when we come home, we have enough energy left over to put into our personal lives, into our health, into our family, into rest. We're not living at such a frenetic pace that we feel guilty about getting sleep or about resting or about doing things that are genuinely replenishing. Just think about Psalm 23 for a moment, man. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I want. He leaves me beside quiet waters. It speaks of slowing down. Like it's straight. It doesn't say I, I rush you past waves and, and stuff that's going on in the, you know, and this chaos and this and these stormy waters. It's like I'll lay, you know, I'll cause you to, to enjoy green pastures. Like Tammy said, reading Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he, he'll give you rest. Just think about the language, the metaphors that he's used in the Bible. We're not talking about, about excusing apathy and laziness. The Bible's clear about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about there being knowing when is a time to engage and to work hard and to dig deep, and when is a time to enjoy and appreciate the gift of rest, the gift of community, the gift of margin. We spoke last week about how we want to be careful that we're not seeing God as Pharaoh, but as Father. When we feel like we can't accept those gifts, we're treating Him like a Pharaoh, and we're seeing ourselves as a slave instead of me seeing myself as a son. But when I see that God is kind, that He's gracious, I want to accept the gifts 
that he wants to give me. I love this statement only because I think it's so powerful and true. John Mark Comer says we live in a world with just enough distraction to actually avoid the wound that could lead us to healing and life. I really do believe that every single person, somewhere along the line, we have been, we've been hurt, we've been wounded. We've, there, there are levels of brokenness. And the only way to actually find that healing, the only way to, to grow in wholeness is to actually slow down enough to be present with God, to allow God to, to remind us of His plan, to, to help us to be secure in Him, to find our identity in Him, that we will trust Him enough to do the work of a surgeon that in some cases is painful at first, but, but it's the pain that leads to healing. And so if we just keep trying to avoid the wound, and if we, if we would rather just self-medicate, which we do through, through various distractions, we actually, we actually stop the master physician from being able to do what only he can do and what he desperately wants to do. We are allowing ourselves to be distracted from the wound that can actually lead to healing and life. And that's why, by the way, I will relentlessly encourage people, if they haven't done it yet, to sign up for and commit ruthlessly to freedom, to, to a freedom small group where you take 12 weeks and it's not about being selfish, it's about self-care. We're saying, okay, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna prioritize time and attention. I'm gonna slow down enough to to work through this curriculum, to meet with the group once a week, and to end off with the encounter because I believe that the way it's put together it helps you to actually slow down and to reflect. It's not just trying to give you more stuff to know. Some of us have more than enough knowledge to last us a hundred lifetimes. Knowledge is not the problem for many of us. It's experiencing God. It is slowing down enough to allow God to say, Jason, I love you. You're good. We're good. This is something I want to point out to you. You're walking with a limp over here. You don't need to. Let me, let me come and touch it. Let me come and help you with it. But I've got to actually slow down enough to hear him bring something to my attention. Does that make sense? So, if you were here a couple of months ago, you would have heard me go through a, a list of symptoms of hurry sickness. I don't want to unpack them in as much detail as I did a couple of months ago, but, but maybe just to give you a few signs. And if you were here a few months ago, you might want to even do another quick evaluation to just see whether or not you feel like you made any progress. This is, a, this is kind of a, an adapted version from Ruth Haley Barton's book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, and John Mark Comer's book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Number one is irritability. Irritability. Are you experiencing a lot of irritability where you are too easily, you know, annoyed, irritated, you're prickly. Number two, hypersensitivity. You are just, you know that you're just too easy to offend. You struggle to roll with the punches and it's not just once in a while. I think we all have that, but, but you know that I am, I am just way too sensitive. Like too much offends me too deeply and it should be stuff that I should be able to roll with. Number three, don't worry, there'll be 10, take a photo after that would be my advice. Number three is restlessness. Restlessness. Just even think of that word. Like we just, we just will rest less because we can't sit still. We can't, you, you actually try to slow down and rest, but you just can't relax. You feel guilty or you feel harassed. You try and Sabbath, but you hate it. You try to read scripture, but you find it boring. You try to pray, but you can't focus your mind. You watch TV, but simultaneously check your phone obsessively. The idea of waiting for two minutes without some distraction leaves you actually feeling quite anxious. 
Going to the bathroom without your phone leaves you feeling like, and it's just for a wee, like it's quick. Number four, workaholism. And when I say workaholism, I don't just mean what you're paid to do. I mean just our, our obsession with being productive. You just don't know when to stop. Your drugs of choice are performance and accomplishment. Number five is emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel and process your own emotions, not to mention dealing with someone else's. And so you do everything you can. And by, by the way, I've been guilty of all of these in varying degrees over time, just so you know. Nearly two years ago, I, I took some leave and I felt like God clearly put, I feel like God had taken, was taking me on this journey and I felt like he clearly showed me, Jason, you do everything you can to avoid any kind of negative emotion. I'll escape. I'll, I'll find a way. I'll skim. And I've had to learn to slow down and process what I need to. We're not talking about giving into and feeding. So I'm just saying where we don't see it as a stumbling block, we see it as a stepping stone to actually being honest with God and real with God. Emotional numbness. Number six, out of order priorities. You probably know what this means, but it's when we feel disconnected with our identity and our calling. We're always getting sucked into the tyranny of, of the urgent over the important. And even though you're busier and busier, you just never feel like you're quite getting to the things that matter most to you. Number seven, lack of care for your body. You know if you're taking care of the basics, getting enough sleep, getting enough rest, eating nutritionally. Do you ever rest? Do you ever take leave, like proper leave and rest? By the way, fast food is fast, is not necessarily food. Real food generally takes time. And we have to cook. Not me, but someone has to cook. <laughs> Number eight, I can fry stuff, okay? And I can probably bake or grill chicken, that's about it. Anyway, number eight, escapist behaviors. Don't put your hand up, but you know, hopefully. By the way, if you have no idea what your, what your vulnerability is when it comes to escapism, that's something to give attention to because we all have it. Whether it's your phone, whether it's series, whether it's, whether it's any of the normal things that we know are, are, are ways that we self-medicate, whether it's busyness, whether it's... Guys, anyway, when you're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, we turn to our distraction of choice, which might be overeating, over-drinking, binge-watching, series sport, or YouTube, or browsing social media. You find yourself stuck in the rut of socially acceptable addictions. Well, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a sex addict. I'm not a drug addict. And everything else is basically okay. And it's not because it's doing violence to our souls. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. We, we struggle to see time with God as something that we run to instead of escaping from when we are taking strain, when we are drained. And number 10 is isolation. You feel disconnected from God. You feel disconnected from others and disconnected from your soul. Now, just to be very, very clear, there is zero intention of guilt or shame. I am confident that that's never from God. 
It's from someone, but it's not from God. It could be from how you grew up. I definitely think its source is in your enemy, but it is not from God. God, God, is, God will make us aware of something because he wants to invite us towards health and wholeness. If, you're, if a petrol light comes on in the car, you don't get angry at the car and defensive and, no, you're not empty. You're like, okay, the car's empty. I need to go and probably get some fuel if I don't want to run out. It's, 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 it's just, it's indicative. And so all I want you to see this as is, okay, what is the dashboard saying to me? And this is what's interesting. The solution is not more time. It's more margin. You see, for so many of us, we think if I just, and I am, I can't tell you how often I'm guilty of this. If I just had a couple more hours, if I just had a couple more hours, but I would just fill up a couple more hours, even with good things, like good things, and I'd be probably more exhausted. So just like with money, we're not, we know that, that it's not just more money, more money, more money. Somewhere along the line, you need to budget and allow for margin, and I believe that the key way to doing this is to just allow moments of slowing. The, the statement that you've heard me refer to a few times is actually originally from Dallas Willard, and he said that you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And I've got to tell you, I first read this at least 15 years ago. And I remember thinking, Like, what else? And by the way, 15 years ago, I was stressed out. I was, I, was, I was chasing my own tail. Nothing was ever good enough. I wasn't taking leave. I was striving. I mean, I needed to actually hear that. I just didn't get it. And, and that's why I'm so, I'm praying for a miracle because I know that for some people sitting here, it's like, yeah, that's, this is all very sweet. This is all very, like, warm and fuzzy. And maybe for you in your season of life, that's, that's what it feels like. But others of you, have been around long enough to know that this, is actually, this could actually be life and death. Whether or not you start living with margin could save a marriage, could save your soul, could save a relationship with your children. It could help feed life-giving friendships. It could totally affect your destiny. You're actually fulfilling the purpose that God has created you for. So I'm, I'm just confessing to you. I, I didn't get this for the first 10, 11, 12 years after reading it. I've, I started, I feel like God, who's very gracious and kind, and who knows that I'm a slow learner, started, actually started me on a journey for a little over four years ago. That, that's how long it's taken me to start allowing this stuff to get from my head into my heart, into my bones and my muscle memory. I am so convinced of what I'm telling you. I am so convinced that this can change your life. I am so convinced that, that, that it has been changing mine and can continue to change mine, but I'm telling you, it's not easy. I still this, I have to push back against this all the time. All the time. I love being productive. I love, I love uh, getting stuff done. I, I get a lot of traffic fines. Not because I'm going the speed limit. I mean, I haven't for a long time, but, but, but there's a reason. And the, the traffic officer doesn't have a beef with you, by the way. It's just, again, it's just very clinical. You're going faster than what you should. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. John Ortberg actually talks about developing a discipline. 
He says that slowing, and this is a discipline, like a spiritual discipline of slowing. This might not sound spiritual to you. I'm telling you, this is a spiritual discipline. Just like regularly reading scripture is a spiritual discipline. Regularly praying is a spiritual discipline. Making church a habit. You don't flick, flick a coin on a Saturday night. It's, a, it's, part of your, it's part of your rhythm. It's part of your discipline. Slowing can actually be part of your spiritual disciplines. He says, slowing involves cultivating patience. Get this, by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. Anyone feel freaked out by that statement? I do. I'm like, isn't there another way? But how else do you develop patience unless your patience is being tested and stretched? How else do you develop muscle unless you're having your muscles stretched and, and, and you're having to deal with resistance? They call it resistance training or weight training. How do you develop capacity to run a marathon? I can't tell you exactly, but I know in principle that you have to develop stamina. And the only way to develop stamina is by pushing harder, going longer. And so, and so you actually develop this capacity. Now, in this case, I'm saying we actually have to develop a capacity for patience. And the beautiful thing is that if we actually grow our muscle, our patience muscle, you are going to cope when you don't get what you want when you want it. But for many of us, the idea of not getting what we want when we want it, like we throw adult tantrums. I mean, we don't look like a child, but we throw fluid moves, right? And where we lose our temper, sorry if that's very offensive. I'm not Afrikaans, so sometimes I say things that are a bit more sensitive than what they should be. Um, but, we, but we can lose our temper. We can... We can and by the way, when we talk about cursing, it's not just swearing. I actually think that when we're calling someone stupid, that's far more of a curse than saying F you. I think that we can curse people. Even, even, even if you're not saying it to their face. We, when we lose our cool, when we lose our temper, in some cases, we're literally speaking death over people. Forget about just the courtesies of swearing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the stuff that we say. And the Bible tells us that your tongue has the power of life and death in it. Why wouldn't I want to grow in my patience so that I don't do damage to the people that I care about most? We can develop that muscle. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better to be patient than powerful. Do you think that's countercultural? Radically so. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. And by the way, self-control as well as patience, they're fruits of the, they are fruit of the Spirit, everybody. When I am lacking self-control, when I'm lacking patience, I am lacking connectivity and influence by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, just so you know, like God is our example. He is so patient. Romans 2 verse 4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? I believe that God is way more patient with us than what we realize. When Paul the Apostle was giving a definition for love in 1 Corinthians 13, what is the very first quality that he mentions? He says, love is patient and love is kind. Love is patient 
and love is kind. Hurry and love are incompatible. Can I say that again? Hurry and love are incompatible. You cannot, you cannot experience depth, meaningful relationships, life-giving relationships, intimacy, where, where, where you're able to share your heart, where you're able to share laughter, where you're able to share what's going on in your life in a rush. I mean, you can, but not for long. Obviously, obviously there are moments where you're doing that, but not for long. The, the relationship, and by the way, by the way, again, just side note, this is for free. If you find yourself experiencing more intimacy with someone other than your spouse, it's because that's where you're slowing down. If you're only ever skimming and speeding with your family, but you're slowing down and enjoying your friends and someone else that you shouldn't, guys, truth is truth. So we're going to reap what we sow. By the way, I've never, ever had that thought before. Ever. So I mean this quite seriously. Maybe that's a word for someone right now. Whatever we're going to give our attention to, wherever we're going to slow down, guys, that's what's going to grow. Whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve dies. So slow down. Love and hurry are incompatible. Slow down. You're going to love something. You're going to love someone. Make sure it's who you actually wanted to be. Guys, I feel like I'm preaching way better than some of you are responding. I'm preaching to myself right now. I feel like this, I feel like, I feel like God might actually know what he's talking about. I think that God is wise. Guys, he's so, he's got so much good stuff planned for us. We have to accept and adapt his principles. There are a bunch more scriptures. It's on you version. You can go ahead and take a look there. Let me just read. Romans 12 verse 9 real quick. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. And you know what it's like when you're busy? You can fake it for a while. You can fake it with your kids. You probably can't fake it as much with your spouse. They're probably going to figure it out pretty quickly. You can probably even fake it with your friends for a while. But don't pretend, guys. Everything comes down to love. It's loving God, loving others. It doesn't matter what else you achieve in this world. You can be Elon Musk. You can try and get people onto Mars. He's been married multiple times. He says that his kids have to scream at him sometimes repeatedly before he actually hears them screaming. He, he lives on so much caffeine that sometimes he loses, he, he starts to lose vision in his, in his eyes. I'm like, I think, I think I'm okay with not going to Mars. If I can, and, and, and if Tesla doesn't work out as well as I'd like it to, and I'm like, I mean, it'd be, it'd be nice, but is that really worth what matters most? Now, you know, it's quick and easy to judge someone else. What are we giving up? What are we sacrificing for short-term gain? Guys, I, I cannot communicate strongly enough how much I feel like God is trying to get our attention with this series. I think he wants to change lives. I think he wants to change generations. Don't just think about yourself. Think about your kids. Think about your grandkids. Think about your great-grandkids. You might actually set a, a rhythm, a model, a trajectory that lives way, way beyond you if you will live counterculturally. There's so many things that I think 
that, that slowing down helps us with. I think it helps us with our intimacy with God and with others. I think it helps us with gratitude. I think when we'll slow down, it's amazing how much more we can actually appreciate those around us, what's being done for us. I think, I think when you're not in a rush, you can actually appreciate the petrol attendant who's putting fuel in your car. I think if you're willing to actually slow down in the shops, you might actually notice people. I think if you're not in a rush when you get to church, you might actually be able to pay attention to someone who's sitting by themselves or someone who maybe just looks a little bit different to or maybe you've noticed the, you know, the last few weeks. I just think that we're able to pay so much more attention. I think that slowing down helps lead to healing and wholeness. I think slowing down helps us to actually live with integrity. I think it helps us to work with integrity. It helps us to, to nurture authentic relationships with integrity. So what do I want you to do? I want to just end off with a, with a couple of suggestions, practically speaking. And some of this is going to freak you out. I, I'm literally just ending off with some suggestions. These are not prescriptions. These are suggestions. Because if you're anything like me, you probably want to know, okay, like, give me some ideas. Give me some examples, right? So don't freak out. And this won't apply for everybody. But for those of you that, that have a car, thank God for it, number one. Be grateful, even if it's not the one you want. Because slowing down actually gives us gratitude. So thank God for what you've got. But... But I would recommend that you actually drive according to the speed limit. I would suggest, uh, uh, some of you look like, yeah, well, you're much better than me because I've got to actually work at this. I struggle to drive according to the speed limit, just so you know. Try coming to a complete stop when you come to a stop sign. Just so you know, there are people in this world that do that. It's not part of our culture. I remember living in Australia where there were no stop Signs, it was all yield signs. I'm like, there are no accidents. Like, this works. Okay, we know in South Africa that even red traffic lights are suggestions to certain vehicles. But, 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 but nonetheless, but nonetheless, nonetheless. Just, 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 just for a week, just practice driving according to the speed limit and coming to a complete stop. And, and be okay with what it stirs up in you. It's okay. It's going to stir up some venom. It's going to stir up some anger. It's going to make you realize that, that, that maybe I should have left a few minutes earlier. Quick confession time. Who of you drive with Google Maps and see if you can beat the time that it says? Okay. I feel you all. I'm just telling you. I'm like, I'm going to beat them. I'm going to get there a minute earlier than it says I'm going to get there. I'm just telling you something about my personality. Okay? Don't text and drive. Just so you know, I find everything I've just said to you very hard. Leave 10 minutes earlier than you think you need to. Some of us need to leave half an hour earlier than we think we need to, but, but just, just, just try margin or plan, maybe using public transport or the cases. Like, like, either way, plan to get where you think you need to go 10 minutes earlier. And, and this is the hard part, get there early and don't take your phone out. Like, just be there. You, you might find this hard to believe, but 20 years ago, people survived without having the internet at their fingertips. Like, they were okay. In fact, I would argue that they were a lot healthier. People even spoke to each other back then, like when they were waiting. Anyway, I know that's like, it's like crazy. I was actually on the way here this morning. I was actually telling my daughter, I've, I haven't thought about this, I don't even, probably in 20 years, but I was remembering, I was telling her, by the way, um, I remember when I, was, when I was young enough, some of you will too, that, that 
TVs used to be black and white. Anyone remember that? Old people, right? It was small, it was ugly, it was grainy, it was weak, and it was this like weird round tube thing. And then, and then if you got a color TV, you were like bawling it. You were killing it if you had, I mean, it was ugly, but you had a color TV. Anyway, what, what made me think about that is because we were talking about, we had put our phones on grayscale, and I asked quite a few of the younger guys to do this as well on Friday and yesterday. None of them gave me feedback, which makes me think that they all failed, so God bless you. Um, I did too. But, um, but, but, but your phone... I think Android and Apple actually has a setting where you can put your phone onto grayscale. This is just, just out of interest. And just so you know, I don't know how to tell you how to get there because that's how complex it is. Even if I search for it on my phone, because normally if you scroll down and you search for something, it'll take you to that setting. It doesn't come up. I literally had to Google a video. I found a Wall Street Journal. I know some of you are very distracted trying to find that now, but anyway. I, had to, I eventually watched a Wall Street Journal video with a journalist explaining how she got to where she could set grayscale on her, on her Apple phone. And, and she was explaining how she now keeps her phone on grayscale during the day. You try to do social media on grayscale. It'll drive you crazy, okay? Or read the news or anything like that. What, what I found hard though is that it's also hard to, to read certain messages without seeing if it's been blue ticked or not or red or whatever. But, but you'll be amazed at how it reduces the dopamine hit. Because it's not in color and it's not attractive, and so therefore it's less addictive. So that's a suggestion. Try, try, doing, try putting your phone onto grayscale for eight hours a day or 10 hours a day. Just so you know, little hack on the side. There is a way on Apple, I don't know about Android, but on Apple where you can actually set a shortcut to where if you touch the side button three times, like click, 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 it immediately goes to grayscale or back to color. That's for free. I'm just helping you guys out, right? We're a full service church. On that note, I would ban distractions at work. Again, guys, it's an issue of integrity. You know if you're paid to do stuff digitally, that's distracting or not. And some, and some of you are. That's great. Some of our young guys, they have to get on a social media. They have to do stuff. But, but when you know you need to be working, then do everything you can. Even if you have to literally take apps off your phone for a while. Or if you have to, or if you have to force yourself to put grayscale on for when you're at work, just just, just try, guys, God wants to help us do deep, qualitative work when we're working. And then when you get home, I think God wants us to have quality time with those around us. Some of us, some of us would do well doing a 30-day digital detox where you remove every app from your phone that, that is not going to get you fired. And you just, you go lean, you go mean, you might rediscover your soul, by the way. Just again, on a bit of a side note, when you're with people, I, I mean, you, you know what I mean when, you, when you're with people. I'm not talking about like just, just in passing, but if, you, if you're having a meeting with someone or a meal with someone, I would strongly recommend that you either leave your phone somewhere or that you put it on silent. And by silent, I've never understood this, silent doesn't mean Confession, I want to go crazy. Like I want to pick, and, they, and, and, and it looks like they, like they don't even notice it. I'm like, can I pick your phone up for you and answer the call? Um, how, do you not, how do you not want to respond to that? So, so if you have to have it with you, on silent, no vibration, turned over. Next time you're walking past a restaurant, take a look at how many people are actually looking down at their little temple, praying. 
No, no, I, I'm, I'm not even joking. Guys, it's a form of religion. All right, I need to move on. Parent your phone, switch it off an hour before you go to bed or more, and don't let it wake up until at least an hour after you've gotten up. Like, my, my advice is don't connect with the world until you've connected with God. Neuroscientists are telling you that whatever is last in your mind when you go to bed and first in your mind when you wake up, it is, it is forming who you are. Why? Why would you want to be formed by, by the vitriol, by the venom, by, the, by, by some of the... I mean, yesterday, I, I, I can't even remember how I landed up getting onto Twitter just to look up something from, with, a, with a local politician. It was ugly, man. I'm like, why? If this was something I did every day, I'm gonna, I'm, hatred is going to be stirred up in me one way or another because I'm going to take a side somewhere. I'm either hating the people that are dissing or I'm, or I'm agreeing with them. And anyway, guys, don't let that be the last thing you go to bed with. Don't let it be the first thing you wake up with. A little suggestion would be to also fight the urge to take your phone with you to the bathroom, which is hectic. Some of us like, feel anxious and you're just going for a wee, like you need a minute. An idea of not having your phone, that should tell us. That, again, that should be like a little dashboard item. Just a couple of last practical tips is try and take a midday break where maybe during lunchtime or something, and, and hopefully everyone gets some kind of break. But again, you have to adapt this. Just, just try and take five minutes or ten minutes. Like Even if you start small and just go with five minutes, where you just go and sit somewhere, you leave your phone at your desk or in your car or in your bag, or again, on silent, and you just... Sit, and you practice being present. Nothing has slowed me down more internally than having to slow down externally and just sit still and be present. And again, don't, don't judge the experience. Don't, don't cr- criticize yourself if you feel like you're going crazy and your brain's all over the place and you're looking at people and you're judging people. Just, just, just first start with just being still and and being present, I would encourage you to use your commute. Again, I'm just giving you suggestions, guys. None of these are prescriptions. Use your commute home, whether whether it's on public transport or a car or a bike or your legs, whatever, to unwind and reflect and prepare for the next part of your day. Your day is not over, most likely. So let's not only give the last dregs. Again, just a little tip. If you're married... I would strongly recommend that you spend the first five minutes when you get home with your spouse. You can greet your kids. Like, don't ignore them. But why don't you model for them that their mom or dad is your first intimate unit? I wish I had time, but, but research has shown how much more... Sick, that sounds like... But how are they going to... Research has shown that kids are way more secure when they see their parents spending time together, modeling love. Smooch your spouse in front of them. Amen. Hug them. Do like, like, like show them how much you love them. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at what that, I'm talking like, like younger kids. And you know what? If you've got older kids, just freak them out anyway. Just do it <laughs> because they're teenagers and they're going to hate it. It's a, you're allowed. All right. Also, Decide on how many meals a week you're going to eat together as a family or, or if you're a group of friends. Like at least have one meal with your friends a week, you know, if you don't have family, where, where there's no phones and where there's no TV, where you just focus, where you ask each other about your day. Practice Sabbath, silence, solitude, etc. We'll talk about this in the coming weeks. Stand up with me.
Let's ask God for wisdom and for revelation to help us with our application.